Blog Talk Radio. Back to school 
uh, studying at, of all places, the University of Louisville. Uh, I'm going back to school uh, to get my master's degree so I can uh, teach. I'm going to go back to teach elementary education. And uh, it seems a little odd making such a move uh, now that I recently turned 38, but it's one of those things I think I've been running from my calling uh, for a long time, so I'm, I'm, I'm going all in, going to get that uh, taken care of. Well, congrats on that. Um, and you just be adding a little more blue to that UofL campus, so that's, that's always a good thing. And, I mean, I don't, I'm not sure what school you'll be at and all that, but, you, I mean, you might run into Little Miss or Big Miss along the way. I know you said your mother was a teacher, so, I mean, wow, this is kind of uh, maybe picking up her torch, so to speak. Yeah, you know, when I first went to, to UK, I was going to do secondary education, but uh, like I tell folks, sometimes life happens and things change and, and everything. But uh, right now, uh, Mrs. TB and I, we kind of came together and we said that this is the this is the time to to make that move. So I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, and, and basically, it uh, you know I volunteered a lot at the girls' school the last couple of years with their watchdogs program, and it's dads of great students. It's an initiative uh, to get uh, men into the schools, particularly in elementary school. Uh, so the assistant principal a couple of years ago. Uh, at their school kind of implored the dads, you know, you can give up one of your vacation days or PTO days, however it is, you can give up one day or half a day to come and hang out with the kids. So I made a habit to do that at least once a month over the last couple of years uh, to spend a day. The girls love it, uh, even though Big Miss is kind of that point where where parents aren't quite as cool as they used to be. Uh, But they (laughs) loved it. I loved it. And there's really a need because at the girls' school, there's only one male teacher. He teaches kindergarten. And uh, just by visiting and, and realizing the impact I was having just on that small scale, uh, and not so much with the kids uh, in my girls' classes, but other kids. You know, Mr. Brown, let me tell you about this. And, you know, I'm doing this in class. And uh, there's just a real need for that male influence. So that's when I decided uh, at the end of last school year, I said, let me go ahead and start this process to, to get me where basically where I should have been uh, a long time ago, but better late than never. Well, congratulations on that. And it sounds like you've already kind of got your feet wet a little bit, you know, put your feet into the pool, and uh, you don't even sound phased at all. So, I mean, uh, you'll definitely be a welcome addition wherever you are, and man, that, that is just that's just good stuff. That's commendable all the way around. And like you sound like you're just more than ready for it. Yeah, and, and you know, like I said, my mom taught for 32 years. I got lots of friends that already are teachers, so I'm not going in with this uh, Pollyanna version of, of how teaching is. I understand about testing and, and, and those kind of downsides, so I'm, I'm going in with my eyes wide open, and I know, you know, basically what to uh, what to expect. So I'm excited about it. It, it sounds hokey, but uh, I really just want to be able to reach some of those kids that, that may uh, fall through the cracks, so to speak. Do you have a preference of grade 
in the elementary school bracket. So kindergarten, first grade, or on up, fourth and fifth. Uh, I, I'm, I'm looking fourth, fourth to fifth grade, fourth and fifth grade, kind of the older kids. I do not have the patience uh, for the younger kids. Uh, <laughs> Little Miss was in kindergarten last year, and I don't quite have the patience for the for the little kids. Not that they're bad, but as you know, uh, five-year-olds can't sit still for longer than five minutes. I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. That's, that's just what they do. And and <laughs> and the folks deal with the, the pre-K and the kindergartner, God bless them, because, wow, I mean, it is just, it is like trying to herd cats that you've got hopped up on Mountain Dew. Those kids are going in <laughs> Uh, 24 different directions, and <laughs> woohoo! You know that is wow. I mean, I would just get worn out just for you know being in their class for an hour or two. I couldn't imagine doing that day after day. Uh, so give me some, give me the older kids. Uh, I, I think that's where I kind of will be most uh, uh, better, better used with those older kids. <laughs> My uh, well. See, is Little Miss in first grade now? She she is uh, she is in first grade, and Big Miss is in the fourth grade. Uh, Big Miss, because uh, we've been in school for a week here in uh, Louisville, Jefferson County, she's down a different hallway at their school for the fourth and fifth graders. So she's she's got that uh, Calipari swag to her now that she's one of the big kids, and and she's kind of uh, you know one of the upperclassmen here in elementary school. So she's got a little bit of swag to her this year. Yeah, that's hilarious. So your youngest and my oldest are the same age because you talk about them not sitting still. Uh, my oldest now, which is six, at the dinner table, you'll look up and he's just he's up. You know, he's not done eating, but he's up. I'm like, what? What are you doing up? Sit down until you finish your food. Do you get up at lunchtime? during school and, and just, just walk around. No. I said, well, don't do it here. Sit down and eat here like you do at school. So, you know, I'm not telling you anything you don't know. So, yeah. You well, already and, and I say, if, if as a parent or anything, if, if you've not been to your child's school during lunchtime, uh, wow, lunchtime in elementary school, it is insane, absolutely insane. <laughs> Because uh, the girls would come home and you know they wouldn't have their lunch. And I'm like, how do you not eat your lunch? I can see it. Yeah. It's pandemonium. So God bless yeah. those folks in the cafeteria as well. Yeah, my, I, you know, last year for kindergarten, my little boy, he, his lunch was a little bit early. It was about ten thirty, ten forty. So he was there, you know, and then his lunchtime came fairly soon. But my wife and I went and and. uh and our youngest, we all surprised them. We didn't even tell them we were coming. We just rolled in and, you know, signed up and walked into the cafeteria. He was in line getting his food. Uh, so we sat with him and, you know, all his classmates were looking at us and talking to us. And my wife and I were practically aged right then and there. We were opening milk and, you know, shuffling yeah. trays around. And, you know, you, we mm-hmm. just jumped right in and, you know, they were like, can you? Can you open up my stack? And they were just coming up right to us, you know, not even worried about it. They didn't think twice. But we were just jumping in and helping them, you know, do this and that and the other with their little plates and, and the whole nine, man. 
Yeah, that, that it, it's fun because you, you you have to open milks and you're opening up into the parents that send these complicated uh, IKEA uh, plastic wear for your elementary school kids. Don't do that. <laughs> don't 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 send that. Where it's like a four or five step process to get their lunch together. Little kids don't have that patience <laughs> to to do all that. Yeah. You know, just put it in a Ziploc bag if you can. Use the easy open plastic wear. Don't don't do that to your kids. Absolutely, absolutely. So congratulations on uh, going back to get the masters and the transitions into uh, elementary education. I hope it goes real smooth and. Uh, you're already prepped, so uh, look forward to seeing it all materialize for you. And, and uh, I appreciate that. And this will give me an excuse to to get into coaching. There you go. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Got to start next somewhere. Step, right? That's it. That's for sure. Uh, speaking of, I guess we ought to, you know, everybody who listens knows that we – do not immerse ourselves in recruiting. You know, we do not break it down. Loney's and the Brian Elders, Brian who's been on this show with us. We don't just look ahead to 2017 and see, you know, what point guard Cal has his eye on. I mean, you know, we hear all that. You hear it on Sports Talk. I hear it. Me and you personally, we just don't immerse ourselves in it. We kind of uh, old school as far as they when they get there, then we'll learn about them. But today, uh, a commitment for Coach Cal, Sasha Kalia Jones committed this morning, sixteen two oh seven, versatile shot blocking type. Uh, you heard talk of kind of people reminding people of, of Willie Colley Stein. But he's more polished offensively. He's athletic. He can jump. He can dunk. He can block shots. But he's also got some range. Uh, he can step out and shoot. So uh, you add him in the mix for 2016, along with Ty Winyard, who's six nine and two thirty. So you got a little the kid from New Zealand, bigger bruiser type. But so good news here, and another big man in the fold. Um, for the 2016 class. So, you know, like I said, I'm not Patrick Loney or Justin Rowland or all those guys, but when it just breaks that wide open, even we know that it's going on. Yeah, you know, there was talk at the end of the season, uh, especially with this very weird 2015 class, a lot of guys going to to not even big-name programs, uh, Cal, UNLV, Purdue, uh, but Cal's right back in the mix. Uh, with that, uh, and you know he had to to, uh, to to land this guy because he's got a hyphen, and along with Michael Kidd-Gilchrist yeah. and Carl Anthony Towns and Willie Cauley-Stein, we we needed some more hyphenated players yeah, in the lineup. So Kalea Jones, looking forward to that. You know, Cal has been hyping up this 2016 class. Uh, he has said that it it could be the best ever, which is big talk. Uh, and if this is just the tip of the iceberg, this may be more than just usual cow's usual uh, cow speak. This this could actually come to fruition, uh, which is why the the we're we're living in the golden time. Uh, we can see that this recruiting bonanza that cow's on it just keeps rolling. It just keeps going, 
and, and now we've got the on-the-court success to back that up. So very, very uh, exciting. Absolutely, absolutely. And everybody immediately jumped on the the whole hyphenated name deal. And, and granted, you know, it has been quite a run of guys with hyphens in their names. Uh, I had Tennessee fans tweet me on Twitter. Uh, yeah, he said, of course he went to Kentucky. He got a hyphen in his name. Ha, ha, ha. You know, so uh, but yeah, definitely uh, is the case. And, you know, we got another one coming with, with the hyphen in his name. And there's uh, even hyphenated names in other sports throughout the case. So, yeah, it is becoming a little bit more of a trend. Exactly. I mean, this was such a rarity just six or seven years ago, but now it's it's become the norm. So, and, and I understand that uh, families are different than they were when you and I grew up. So I, I've got zero problem uh, with that. But uh, if it follows Kyle's pattern, he's, he's a great young man and a fantastic basketball player. So definitely I don't want to start looking forward to 2016 because we've got a fantastic season coming up uh, to get ready for, especially with uh, Jamal Murray looks like he is going to be on campus in time, uh, not going to go play for the Canadian national team. So that's a good sign uh, to get him in Lexington and kind of get him acclimated uh, to the campus and to, uh, and to his teammates. Exactly. And that was, if you want to call it that, some, some more big news as far as Kentucky is concerned. And, I mean, we saw him tearing it up for the Canadian national team. And from all accounts, everybody was trying to work it all out where he could do both. Cause, I mean, he wanted to play for the Canadian team. Of course, the Canadian team wanted him as well. And you got Andrew Wiggins calling Jamal Murray the future Canadian basketball. And Wiggins is just, you know, wet behind the ears himself with one year in the NBA. And he's still – you know, hasn't reached his potential, still has a lot of hype about him, but he's calling Murray the future of his country's basketball team. So that's that's high praise coming from a, another great player, one of his peers. Um, but it just doesn't look like it's going to work out, you know, with the admissions and all that. So, yeah, like you said, it is being selfish and greedy, it is better on Kentucky's end because he'll come on down, should make it on in uh, smoother and get himself acclimated. Uh, to Lexington and to UK uh, a little sooner than he would have had he played for the Canadian team. And, you know, we've had a Canadian pipeline. We've had some some guys from north of the border come to Lexington, so that's not unusual as well. Kyle's got a little United Nations thing going on and, and getting guys from, from all over. So I'm excited. Uh, not only about the recruits we're signing, but this year's team is, is going to be good. Uh, there's just a lot to be excited about when it comes to UK sports for this year. Uh, I keep telling people over the next this year and next year, all of the sports, all 22 of them that we had Dwayne Peavy talk about last week, uh, could be looking to to really knock on those championship doors, and that's very very exciting. Absolutely, and Murray will also have, you know, fellow Canadian, like you mentioned, the pipeline, Michael Mulder, you know, transferred a couple months ago. He's already 
in the fold, and Mulder will already be there from Ontario, and now uh, Murray will be coming in too. So, you know, they'll have that bond already, you know, fellow Canadians there. Uh, and it is all just going to the collective effort across the board for the athletic program. Uh, volleyball is about to start, and everybody's expecting big things from them, with Coach Skinner and the crew with the women's volleyball team. Uh, you mentioned, and we try to definitely keep our eye on the soccer uh, because Lipschitz is going to have things popping again, too. I mean, it's it's a lot going on, but it's a lot of good things going on. Exactly, exactly. So uh, it's just it's very, very exciting. You know, I try to correct folks when I see the tweets, hey, I'm ready for uh, Kentucky football or and or basketball, but, hey, there's a lot of stuff that – uh, you should pay attention to when it comes to the University of Kentucky. Uh, yeah. People want to say all cats everything. Well, you got to be all cats everything, even if that means the sports that don't necessarily get the uh, get the pub, as they say. Uh, hey, uh, like I said, the, the women's soccer team—they're sitting at number 16 in the country. That ain't not bad. I mean, that's a that's pretty good. Uh, to, now they're finding themselves. Uh, in the top 25, and volleyball has been as consistent a postseason team as we've had uh, at Kentucky over the last five to six years. So it's very, very exciting. So for everything that Stoops is doing uh, in Commonwealth Stadium, uh, which he's doing great stuff, and we're going to talk to Anthony White here in a little bit, uh, all the coaches uh, and even the administration at leg department are really doing a, a great job. Uh, again, like uh, Mr. Peavy talked about last week, there's no reason why they can't be a, a top 15, top 10 athletic department. The resources are there. The, the fan support is there. Uh, it's just a matter of going out and executing, and they're doing that. Absolutely. Uh, and right on the heels of – you're talking about getting your uh, your master's for elementary education, and then you said UK soccer is ain't not bad. How many negatives was that that you just like? That's a couple. That's right a couple. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 as long as they give me the answer key, I'm gonna try to be as good as I can. <laughs> as long as I can get the answer key, I'm I'm, I'm good. Uh, and then that note, I've, I've been watching a lot of teacher movies. I've been watching Lean on Me, uh, some Dead Poet Society. Uh, I've watched uh, Dangerous Minds. You know, I'm getting in that mindset uh, of, of yeah. going out and, and teaching. Uh, but you know, Lean on Me, that's my jam. With Mr. Clark, that that's and, and Sam's. All oh, Sam's going to use drugs in my school. I don't want to die, Mr. Clark. <laughs> you know, that that's my. <laughs> That's my movie right there. So, uh, yeah, I'm getting in that mindset right now. I was uh, on Facebook last night because um, my better half, Katie, is not on Facebook. But I was scrolling through and just saw the post, and she saw it was you. She said, what is he posting about my movie? Because she loves Lean On Me, too. She said, what is he putting about Lean On Me? So that's where we saw your official announcement because, you know, the picture, the graphic you kind of needed with Mr. Clark as a student caught her eye because I mean, she's seen that movie more than I have. But uh, 
she was immediately all over wanting to know what you had posted with your lean on me. She said, hey, what is Terry putting about my book? <laughs> she was all about it. <laughs> Cause that's, that's one of her favorites, too. Sure is. But, uh, uh, but when you when you just kept throwing those negatives together, I was gonna let a couple of them go. But when you like put a three or four more together, I was like, whoa, whoa, let me let me at least see how many negatives those were. You know, so I just you know I kind of called you out a little bit, but it's all right. You're not in class, and you didn't you know just corrupt the young impressionable minds of those fourth and fifth graders yet. So that's all right. <laughs> but it's like I said, as long as they give me the answer key, I should be uh, I should be good to go. <laughs> it's all that matters. It's all that matters. Oh man, we having fun already. Oh, I got Anthony White, former UK running back, former NFL running back, should be on with us in a few minutes. I forgot to get a number. If y'all want to call, interact with the show eight four five two seven seven nine three seven three eight four five two seven seven nine three seven three. That's Cats Talk Wednesday on Twitter uh, at Vinny Hardy at T Brown underscore eighty. I also got the Cast Out Wednesday Facebook page. You can jump on any one of those avenues uh, and holler at us. Uh, we'll take us a quick little break, and we can have Anthony White on the other side in the next few minutes. Listen to Cast Talk with Vinny and Terry on the Brown and Hardy Radio Network and blogtalkradio.com. Stay right with us. We'll be right back in a few minutes.
Talk with Vinny and Terry on the Brandon Hardy Radio Network and BlogTalkRadio.com. Had a fun first little segment. Take a quick little break, working in some more of our new Malice and Mario jams. They got their newest CD came out, that has come out. I'm looking at me using negatives now. Their newest CD has come out uh, a couple <laughs> weeks ago, TV. So, uh, and, you know, we always playing all their music on our little breaks. So, uh, Malice, Crystal, Sweet, and SMS, the little kind of collaboration they got going on. They got the third CD out. Check that out. We'll work all those new jams in with all the old ones we've been playing as well. And we also now work at our esteemed guest who's been on with us once before. He is a former UK running back, former NFL running back. Hails from the state of Ohio, but bleeds blue now. We are talking about none other than Sunday AM sports star Anthony White. How you doing, Anthony? Thanks for joining us, man. I'm doing pretty good, man. Just call me an episode of uh, Family Feud. Check out Steve Harvey for a little bit. <laughs> Got to do that. <laughs> Steve Harvey in those fifteen button suits. <laughs> oh yeah, get, get your little fat, get your little fashion fix here and there. That's you right. Know, he, the celebrity stuff he did over the summer on Sunday nights was fun too. Had, oh yeah, uh, yeah, had, yeah. That one, my favorite one, he was, uh, Niecy Natchez's family was on there, and her son gave uh, just a dumb answer, and he clowned him the whole show. I mean, he kept coming back. You know, he, like, turned it into, of course, one of his comedy bits, but he just would not give do the break. <laughs> he was busting on him the rest of the show, man. <laughs> yeah, I think I witnessed that. Sometimes you wonder, man, the guest going to lose their cool or something, man. He. He got him there. I have watched when we got him to do pretty good. I thought maybe he was yeah. going to lose his cool after a while. <laughs> See, you know, I mean, he knows how to do it. Get his little jazz in and make everybody laugh and just keep everything rolling at the same time. He got that gift. <laughs> right, right. So, man, 17 days away, you know, camp is in full effect. Kickoff is around the corner. Uh, we just had to get you on to get your, your thoughts on uh, this year's edition of the Cats. Uh, specifically, let's start off with the running back spot. The position you played, uh, what did you see out of the guys from last year to this year? What do you expect for them going into this year uh, with Louisiana Lafayette coming to town on September the 5th? Uh, I mean, we we haven't gotten the, the full update, which it, it seems to be nothing big with Boom Williams or whatever, but I mean, the guy's explosive. I mean, he showed a lot his freshman year. I'm expecting him to come back this year and uh, and show us big things. Uh, I mean, but I think JoJo Kemp. I think he's. I think he's refocused. I think last year, you know, a couple of things might have got to him. Uh, it's tough playing in that conference when you experience so much success in the beginning. You know, when you're a freshman and young, it's it's easy for you to slide underneath the radar. Teams don't know what your skills sets are. Team. May not know what you do well, but when they find your weakness in the SEC, they will exploit it. So it's hard to come back and duplicate a real good year in the SEC unless you're just that special individual. But I uh, did a football camp with JoJo Kemp this summer, and I think he's ready. I think he's focused and ready to, you know, to contribute however he can. But I think with those two, and then I think Michael Horton can add something to it. I'm not exactly sure uh, where his head is now. They want to, I think they want to do some things he's not accustomed to doing as far as doing more big, big man stuff. He's a bigger guy, but I think just 
uh, in his high school days, he, he seemed to be used to playing more with his size and speed rather than more just side and inside, inside running ability. So I think we got a pretty good stable full of backs that if one seems to not be in the groove or, you know, stub their toe and catch an injury or something, I think I think we'll be pretty good at that position. And, of course, the offense changes a little bit going from Neil Brown to Shannon Dawson. What would be the differences in the, in the two offenses as far as running back is concerned? If you're boom, you know, if you're Horton, if you're those guys, what would you have to learn different adjusting to the, from one system to the next as you transition? There's not really much from the running back position. I, 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 I'm assuming they're probably going to use boom a little more in the slot, get him the ball in different uh, in different ways and different formations, uh, which they did that with me a lot my senior year. I played more in the slot than I did in the backfield. And, you know, but if I was clicking in the backfield, you know, they'd keep me back there. But if uh, they stack in the box, they'll put me out in the slot to try to get you a quick screen or, or something that uh just get the ball in your hand. So I don't think there's that big of a, a difference. I think that he's gonna, I think uh, Shannon Dawson wants to do more passing to open up the run, whereas Neil Brown wants to run to open up the pass. And uh, and from some of the things I've been seeing and some of the things I've been hearing, I think they are uh, they're focusing more on the passing game to make t- make teams respect our passing game. Last year we didn't get much respect in the SEC for the passing game because our running game was so strong and we were so top-heavy in the run game. And that's, you know, majority of our plays are run plays. So uh, I, I, I think it's going to benefit the back some that Shannon Dawson is focus, focusing more on the passing game. But at the Star Sunday morning show, that's my big thing. There's a lot of unknowns. You know, they're working on the passing game, but how much success are they having? You know, I was out of practice and the defense seemed to be getting the offenses mixed. And, you know, I'm I'm not used to that in this offense. This offense is supposed to dictate what the defense does. It's not supposed to be the other way around. So, I mean, there's some questions. They, and they could have just been a vanilla practice where we really couldn't see what was going on. They didn't show us much. And, and that was the second day of practice as well. So, you know, the guy probably had to shake some rust off. But I, I, I like a lot of things that, that Shannon is doing. And from the uh, time I talked to the backs, they seem to feel more confident and things seem to be a little less complicated as far as the teaching, uh, I guess his method of teaching seems to be a little less complicated, and that's what all the guys on offense are saying. We're joined by former U.K. running back Anthony White. <clears throat> now, for you personally, I mean, you're very versatile, good hands out the backfield, uh, you know, and good, you know, getting it from behind the line, taking a handoff. What did you prefer? What, did you prefer just getting it going off tackle or doing a stretch, or did you like catching it out in the flat uh, and, and then doing work? you know, taking a short pass and making it into a running play. I'll tell you what, if you ever talk to any of my coaches on any level, well, not so much in high school, but in college or in the pros, I hated the stretch play. I, that stretch play is one thing. <laughs> if I if, if I get it, if I know that's coming up, if I see that play's calling in, I'll, I'll tap myself out of the game. It's just really not my cup <laughs> of tea. I'm, I'm not I'm not lightning fast. I'm quick. I'm not lightning fast. So changing direction is my thing. If the play is designed to get stretched all the way from the sideline, from the backfield, I don't want no parts of that because those guys sitting there waiting for you, and you're not supposed to change direction because the pursuit is coming from behind you. But I mean, it's just funny because you, you gave one of the options as being the stretch play. But uh, the way we ran the the way we ran, I, I don't really think I could uh, choose one one facet that I like to get the ball in because, like I said, we dictated what's going on in the game. If we broke the huddle and there's only four down linemen and one linebacker, and then Dime said the rest of the guys are defensive backs. 
then we're running it. You know, it's five on five, and I'm one on one for safety. And I mean, it's that's golden. But by the same token, we're playing against Georgia, and they keep us seven or eight people in the box. And Tim may, you know, move me to the slide and say, you know, you go right out here and just catch a quick screen. So it, it was always a thing that you couldn't stop it. That's why uh, it was always a thing. I, I mean, I like to run it when there was nobody in the box, but I also like to catch it on the outside. Well, it, so it, no matter. Like they, they took away the side. So no matter what, this offense, the the air raid type offense, is designed to, to be a step ahead no matter what. What the defense does when it's working right, it doesn't matter. They're always going to be a step ahead. Unless a team is unless a team is uh, more superior on defense, if they got defensive backs that can lock up every player on your offense, which typically doesn't happen because you can run a crossing route, which a guy runs from one side of the field all the way across the field, and there should be no way in the world a defensive back should be able to chase you across the field and stay with you. But uh, I mean it. it it's, it's, it's been, and I think a lot of things that Neil Brown was saying last year was that we had to run the ball because our, our we didn't have enough time to. He said our offensive line wasn't giving us enough time to pass the ball, and also you know a lot of guys are dropping you know key passes and key situations in the game. So I think they felt more comfortable running the ball just because we were stronger there. And sometimes we run into eight man front, seven man front, which you really don't want to do. And that's why I think you know there's a lot of upsides to this year to Shannon Dawson. It's saying exactly what we just, what I just what I just told you that if you line up with five DBs and we have five receivers, we're gonna run it. If you only line up with four DBs and we have four receivers, we're gonna throw it because that's one on one across the board. Or if you have a back a linebacker lined up against our running back, that's that should be also a, another automatic win. So I mean, it's just I, and that's why I really couldn't understand why we weren't much more successful last year. But all the blame was put on the offensive line last year in the past two years that we didn't have time to throw the ball, and teams knew that, and they, they would stack the box, so we couldn't run it successfully. So uh, I think we got a lot of that cured. I think we put a lot more focus on getting those mismatches or making sure the teams play against our mismatches where they don't come out in the defense and we say, well, we can't do this part of our game plan because they're running this. No, it should be the other way around. Right. You run this, and we're going to react. You know, we're going to come out in this set, this set, and if you're not covering it, we're going to be wide open. If you do cover it, we should beat you one-on-one. Or are they going to leave something else open? I mean, if it's ran, if it's ran the way it's supposed to be ran, it's, it's, there's really no way to cover it. Right, right. Now, flipping to the defense, you know, going into the season opener, uh, you talked about when you were at practice, the defense was kind of getting up in the offense a little bit. How do you see the defense holding up? Uh, we know about Bud and Darius moving on to the NFL. Uh, with this Louisiana Lafayette team coming in, that's – a solid team went to a bowl game and won it. Got Jason Hatcher suspended as well. But I talked about it a couple of weeks ago. At least the guys that were behind Hatcher on the depth chart, at least they know he's not playing. It's not like he gets hurt in the first series and, oh, you get thrown out there. How do you see the defense holding up and kind of hitting the ground running uh, with a lot of new parts and pieces, you know, with the season coming around? I mean, I think it's a, I think it's going to be a good test for us. I think it'll be a good learning, learning situation. I don't think it's going to be much competition. I see us winning by three touchdowns, just because I think the offense is going to be that much more uh, in tune this year. And I also think that uh, that uh, that the guys are going, to, their, their heads are going to be in the clouds. So you know, when that first game, you come out with a lot of energy, you come out fresh. That's probably going to be the last game you're going to be fresh. 
for the rest of the season. So, you know, the guys have a lot of energy. The injuries haven't really hit you yet. And, you know, and we should be man, man for man across the board. We should be able to dominate each player at almost each position. And they're they, they going to have to deal with things we have to deal with in the SEC, that we can go too deep. You know, we got more, we got more gas than they do. So, toward the end of the game, we should be able to wear them down, even if they do stick around early. And I expect them to stick around for the first quarter to give us problems. But uh, as far as my concern for the defense, I think we'll be, in the first game, I think we'll be good enough just because we got Forrest back, uh, Josh Forrest back, which is, you know, the anchor of the defense. And you got uh, A.J. Stamps running around as, as a safety that's, you know, protecting us deep. So the only question I have, and, it is, and it's going to be answered in the first game, is, you know, how, can we replace the Darius? And Jason Hatcher's not there. Can we replace uh, uh, Dupree? You know, because if we're not getting pressure on the quarterback, and that was one of the big things last year, we got enough pressure on the quarterback earlier, early in the season that they caused a lot of turnovers. The quarterback threw the ball before they wanted to. Or we, we, we hit the quarterback and caused fumbles and things like that. So that's my only question, and I think – and I'm not sure if it's going to be answered in the first game just because those guys are going to be so young and lack so much experience. But then we also know we have Jason Hatcher waiting to return if things don't look that great. But who knows? I mean, I, every, all, everybody on that roster has been a freshman at some point. So they, they've all, right. you know, had to, had to prove themselves. Boone Williams was a freshman last year. He proved himself. So, I mean, I, I'm not up or down on it yet. That's why I'm, I'm just chomping at the bit, waiting to, waiting to get, get this season started so we can get a lot of these questions answered. Absolutely. And do you like that uh, the special teams are kind of getting coached by committee? Or do you wish there was one guy focusing on it? Or is it? Uh, it's usually been best when we had one guy over top of it, and and I, and I'm not sure if you know Stoops being a defensive coach, a defensive minded coach, if if, if these guys really understand the past couple of years. And I've talked to uh, Derek Abney at a football camp this the past two. He's at a, a camp with me every summer, but we talked the past couple of years, and the, the guys that played with him were some of those guys at the camp, and they kind of spoke to the dedication and the importance they placed on special teams. You know, a lot of times, like even in NFL, I mean, if you're the 52nd or 53rd man on the roster and they put you out there for a second, you need to go 100%. You're not getting all the plays. So if they put you on field goal block, it's not one of those one or two steps and you just lay on the other guy and let them kick the field goal. No, you're supposed to try to block it because that could be the difference in the game. And and from what I heard from these guys, that was the mentality they had with uh, Derek when Derek Abney was, was returning everything they kicked to him. The whole team was trying to make Derek get to the end zone. They were sustaining blocks. They were making an extra block. They weren't saying, well, let my guy run down there, fair catch, and let the offense come out. No, they they saw that as an opportunity to, you know, to get some points really quick because the other team is probably thinking the same thing that, you know, that they're thinking. Like, well, we're just going to kick this and have them down it and let our defense come out and, and protect. You know? And so I haven't been around enough to see that, but I know if you have a coach over it, they're dedicated to that because that's their whole mindset a lot of times. That's what they're concentrating on. That's their That's their main thing. So, but I but I also think it can, it can also come from the head coach if he feels last year we were we've been pretty poor on that for the past two years we haven't had we haven't posed very much threat in the special teams category and I think if Mark Stoops looks in the mirror and decides we are not really what we're going to be personnel wise we have to try to get some field we have to try to win field position battles we have to try to get the ball sometimes in good field position or we have to pin them deep and you know if I was him I'd take some time out in practice. And put a little more focus on that or put some fresher guys on there that you know are headhunters that may not get a lot of offensive and defensive plays, but, you know, they're going to go out there and make the play. As well as if 
if uh, Josh Forrest is one of your best special team players, maybe that one extra player is going to be the change in the game, and you might not want to take him off of special teams. And by the way, I don't know any of this. And uh, like I said, that's another question that'll be answered once we once we kick off. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and like you said, it'd be it would uh, be nice to kind of end some of those streaks to kind of turn the tide of the history uh, with some big plays. Pop a return because it's been a little while. I think since Randall Cobb was there since they did get a return, so uh, it'd be cool to kind of like you say get the personnel and the focus from the coaching aspect and and kind of reverse the trend what we've seen for the past couple of years. I got to take you back. For a minute, I tweeted at you a few weeks ago because I was rolling through your hometown. I went to a family reunion in Cleveland, and I rolled through Twinsburg yeah. on the way back. Um, just tell us a little bit. I, I could just kind of glimpse it. We didn't stop. Didn't have time to stop. I could just kind of see it from passing a little bit, from the interstate a little bit. Give us a little insight about your hometown, what what Twinsburg is about, what it's like. It looked like a, I mean, it looked like a nice little town from what I could tell, man. So talk about home for a minute. Oh yeah. Twinsburg Hall oh, is a, a very nice, nice, uh, nice town. I, I'll give you a short, short uh, bit of a story. When I was in when I was in NFL Europe, I was in Berlin. I'm in Berlin, Germany, in a Hard Rock Cafe, and uh, a group of people just walked up to me. But we're all bigger than most people, so they know we're athletes of some sort, and probably. And after we play football, and everybody's introducing themselves, and I said, "I'm Anthony." You know, gotta shake the hand. It's Anthony White. I said, yeah, you're the football guy, you're the running back. And I'm like, yeah, you know, they know me. You know, we must be big time. Plus, you know, Tim Couch was the first pick overall. They said, <laughs> the next thing out of their mouth is, you're the guy from Twinsburg. And I was like, yeah. So I'm thinking at this point they've done more research on me. All they knew was that there was a big Twins festival, and I was from that city where the big Twins festival was from, and they had been wanting to go there for years, and they heard a lot about it, and they follow it, and uh one of the the other twin wasn't there, but one of the guys I was talking to was a twin, and uh, and that was <laughs> that was the extent of that conversation. They just wanted to know about Twinsburg. But I remember growing up, uh, it was, that was a huge festival, man. They had the the uh, twins that come from the farthest away. There was someone from China there, and it was a small, a very small event. For our city, it was huge, but I mean, compared to Cleveland or Akron, Ohio, it was a small event. But the whole city would be packed, and you couldn't get a hotel. Streets were blocked off. And there, like I said, there were people coming from China and all all over, and they have so many uh, uh, twins contests. And that's probably the biggest event there. Uh, probably the biggest event there. We have probably four or five gas stations. We have a grocery store. We don't have Walmart or anything like that. We got McDonald's, Wendy's. Uh, we got a Cracker Barrel, Bob Evans. We got the, your normal <laughs> stuff. And I mean, basically, the only thing about Twinsburg is is the Twins Festival. And I guess. Probably, if you ask somebody about Twinsburg, they they may talk about our sports teams because uh, for a minute there we were putting people into pro sports. I don't know if you know that uh, James Posey uh, played the NBA two-time world champ was my was my center in basketball in high school, and my quarterback played in the Super Bowl uh, Seattle Seahawks for the Seattle Seahawks when they played the Steelers and got shafted. So. Uh, that's, that's about the extent of uh, <laughs> Twinsburg, if you ever want to go sightseeing. I, I feel that, that that Cleveland, Northeast Ohio, Southwest Pennsylvania hate when you start talking about the Steelers. That I heard that in your tone real quick. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. And that's what's funny. And that's the funny thing about a lot of people since Kentucky don't have a, a pro team here. And I – 
I've never really been a pro fan, and especially since uh, I played in the pros, I, I I really can't see myself being a fan just because I've witnessed the politics of it. So I really don't support the team. I just support people that I know that may play for the team. But mostly everybody here is Cincinnati or, or Steelers fans, and it's, and it's just tough. You know, I, I crack wise jokes. I'm not really a Cleveland Browns fan, but I'm just used to from being small, we were just – Raised up not to like Pittsburgh fans, or you know, not to like blue and yellow or black and yellow. So uh, it is kind of funny. You know, I run across a lot of people here, and it just seems like I'm surrounded by Pittsburgh Pittsburgh Steelers fans and Cincinnati Bengals fans. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a Steelers fan. You got to give them credit because their their fan base is is pretty large and pretty spread out. So they, I mean, they do have a big a big following. Um. As far as you growing up and being a running back in the state of Ohio, when you were a little kid running around, what did the name Archie Griffin mean to you? I know, you know, you're just up the road from Columbus and all that. Uh, I, I was more of a, I was more of a pro, pro running back kind of guy. The older I got, probably about the time I got in high school or, you know, coming out of middle school, going into high school, freshman and sophomore, I started learning, looking into colleges and things. I started looking more about what Archie did. And, and I've, I actually met him at some of my visits to Ohio State. And like I said, he's a wonderful guy. Just, just uh, win two Heisman trophies is just something you, you really don't do. And the guy was a scrappy runner and, and kind of – uh, like I said, they, they just don't make them like that anymore. Guys that run hard and, you know, kind of Barry Sanders style, like you have to do what you have to do to get yards. And those are the kind of guys I like. I didn't like the, the big bruiser Jim Brown. I, I really like Jim Brown as a player and what he accomplished, but I like the, the Walter Paytons and, the, the, the you know, the scrappy guys that may not have been the biggest but get the job done. And uh, every time I've met oh, okay. Archie, he was, he's always been really nice and really respectful as if as – if, uh, we were equals or something, you know. And I said he's a big Ohio State alum, so he was always pretty nice and and and, and showed you guys that that, that he he would welcome you here and wanted wanted us to come there. But pretty neat situation. That's cool. That's cool. I, did, I knew I definitely wanted to ask you about him. Um, and I always got to ask anytime a running back is on, you know, no matter what level they played at, especially if they played both ways. Uh, we had Emory Hunt on, who played at Louisiana Lafayette. He kind of previewed the Raging Cajuns a few weeks ago. Um, guy I went to school with, uh, Anthony Ravizee, he went on to play at Moorhead State. He was right there a year under George Matthews, who played with you at UK. Both of those guys from my little hometown. But I know you played both ways in high school. Were you a, were you a DB, a linebacker, a safety? What position were you on defense in high school? My up until my sophomore year, I played uh, safety and linebacker. I played linebacker as a freshman, just because I wasn't supposed to be playing freshman. But our coaches didn't believe on moving freshmen up, and uh, they they didn't want me getting a full head of steam from safety and and really doing damage to people. So they moved me to linebacker. And uh, <laughs> once I started playing varsity, I was playing safety and cornerback as a sophomore and and, and junior and senior. And here's why I asked because. If you could clone yourself and make two, two Anthony Whites, one Anthony the running back, one Anthony the safety, the Anthony the linebacker, Anthony the corner, in high school at Twinsburg, if it's third and two and offensive view is coming up to meet defensive view in the hole, is 
it going to be fourth down or is it going to be first down? Who wins the battle, your offensive self or your defensive self? I mean, that, that's really easy. I mean, I the more the more I watch the things I've done in life and my mindset about it, it is really no – the first problem I have, it wouldn't be third and two. If it was – I mean, if it was – if it was a defense of me, I would never let it get to third and two. That's one thing I'm thinking about. But offensive, my mind says nobody can stop me. I, I mean, in the in the hole, I, I just can't see a way to stop myself. And and I, not to, and I know it sounds arrogant or possibly cocky, but the further I get away and I watch some of the things, I, and the biggest compliment I ever got from from or let me know that my ability, and I didn't realize this until I was finished playing. That's why when I was played. I just didn't want anybody to tackle me and knew that in most situations I can get out of it. But I was in with the St. Louis Rams when they were the greatest show on turf. And my, my locker, I was number 26, so my locker was two lockers away from Marshall Falls. And uh, the TVs were talking trash to me because in practice I was doing a pretty good job. And they, uh, we, we heard them in this. And Marshall Falls bet, I don't know how, what the amount of money was, he bet any defensive back that if they put him in a five-yard by five-yard five box, they wouldn't be able to tackle him. And when he gave – me that kind of credit, I was like, wow, okay, that's that's pretty neat. So, I just I I don't think I don't think I'd be able to stop myself on offense just because I've just been doing it for so long and and I, I just think I I just got so many tools and so many so many tools to get out of situations that I think it'd be tough to stop myself. <laughs> now, if it, was injured, if it was one of my injured Anthony White's that running back, then I probably then I take the safety Anthony White. <laughs> Most guys always pick their offense themselves. It's you know, as much as they have confidence in anything they can do, if they either most guys either say they're gonna juke themselves, they're gonna truck themselves, they're gonna stiff arm themselves or whatever. Most the the vote continues to lean towards the offense itself. I just have to you know, that, defense, yeah, that's, that defensive game is tough, man. That's, when you're running up in there trying to stop a guy and you don't know if he's gonna shake your pants off or if you don't know if he's gonna gonna lower the shoulder on you. Or like I said, not spin moving nowadays. They got the you know the, the dead leg. We just stop. I mean, you had a guy's mercy when you're running up in there, man. If the guy's equipped with that with, the, with that many tools, that's true. That's true. Man, TB, if I just don't talk to you to death, I know you're there. <laughs> yeah, that, your, your question just reminded me of a quote where I saw Deion Sanders talking, and he said that he was paid. Dion's money to watch Dion guard Dion because he wasn't even sure that Dion could keep Dion from scoring. And I said, well, you can talk about your third, yourself in the third person on offense and defense. That's pretty good stuff right there. <laughs> Absolutely, man. That's one of my favorite players, man. That's one of my favorite players. So I, I, I can see it. I can see it. And that's good stuff. That's good now, stuff. one quick question I do have for you. Uh, Anthony, is have you been able to to take a tour of the new Commonwealth Stadium? Does it have a different kind of feel to it uh, than when you were playing? I haven't had I haven't had a chance to. I've, all I've seen is pictures. I drove by it a little bit. I have seen the pictures of the outside of it, which I think is going to give a I think is going to give a whole new feel. Where I don't think it has so much of a view from the outside, where you can you know there's so many pillars and things that you can look through the through the bottom of the stadium and see things going on. They have kinda of have it uh I guess kind of walled off where, you know, it looks like more of a stable structure. It looks you know, it looks it looks a lot neater. I haven't been there but just from the pictures of it I think it's gonna present a, a whole new atmosphere and I think just the the newness of it 
it, it, I think it's going to be pretty. I think it's going to be a pretty neat idea. I think it's going to be pretty cool because I remember when we first got the stadium bowled in in 1977, 1997, and uh, you know we had extra. We bowled in that in. We had extra fans around. You running in and out of the locker room uh, in the tunnel, so it, it presented a whole new feel. Just just to have, have new a new atmosphere. Yeah, it it has a feel of an SEC stadium now. It 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 looks nice. It absolutely does. It, it it feels like it belongs to the SEC. And that and that's one that's one of the things when you have those bus rides when you going up when you pulling up uh to in Gainesville, Florida, you pulling up in uh Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and you, like on the outside of the stadium, you can just sit and look at the outside of the stadium and be at all for a while until you walk in there. And you know you ready to ready to do work, but once you first pull up, you know you kind of like, oh we're playing the so and so stadium where I and I guess it's our home stadium, so I never really got that feel. But I think ours was more cozy. Of, it was a little, I think it was a little dated. And, you know, kind of when you pull up, it might have been a little raggedy in some of the other stadiums. So I think that's going to add a new feel to it. But I, I do think if we can accomplish the things that Mark Stoops has set out to accomplish. And the, the new look of the stadium, I mean, it could it could present that same atmosphere that you have when you go to, like I said, when you go to Baton Rouge and playing at night or, you know, you're pulling up in Tuscaloosa and, and those, you know, those story stadiums. It won't have as much story behind it, but I think it'll be something that, you know, that, that, that people can remember. It won't look like you're just going to an old stadium want to get in and get out real quick. <laughs> we are definitely excited about it and looking forward to seeing it. Uh, it'll be mostly completed when the season opens, but, you know, a few weeks in, it'll be completely completed, and uh, everybody's excited about it. And like you say, it will be – it'll get storied. You know, it'll take a few years, and it'll have its own character uh, building of its own, you know, where it will start comparing to all the rest of the stadiums in the SEC. Oh, yeah, that's, that's what I'm waiting for. Like I said, the, the product – on once they get the product on the field, it'll – I, I think it'll it'll be it'll 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 change the whole atmosphere and like you said there'll be a lot of stories to write about it because whenever you change the culture or whenever there's been changes like in the '97 they called it the Tim College era we had the new stadium then you know you add the Alabama game to that and you know some other big games we had in that stadium I mean it, it, it all kind of relates to that and so like I said now any any streaks they in hopefully they'll end that Florida streak this year. You know, in the new stadium, and that that'd be a great start. That'd be a perfect start for stories in the in the new in the new stadium. That's it. It all sets up real nice. Sure does. Absolutely. We, man, we appreciate you hopping on, Anthony. Appreciate you just giving your thoughts on the upcoming season. Had to take it back to Twinsburg for a minute. We had, you know, we got Twinsburg's finest on, so we got to talk about Twinsburg for a second. So appreciate that and dropping all the knowledge that you did. And we're looking forward to the season just like you. And uh, we'd love to have you on again down the road sometime, man. Thanks for joining us tonight, man. I appreciate it, man. Anytime, let me know, man. I like talking sports, man. Oh, hey, thank we you. We appreciate it. And we enjoy listening to you with, right. with Mark Berger and Larry Vaughn on Sunday mornings too, man. It's always good stuff with you on that show as well. Yeah, let me. I apologize for you know Mark antics every week. You know, if you can stomach it on a weekly basis, I apologize for it. I appreciate it myself. <laughs> Absolutely. You and Larry trying to you know keep him in check. I know that's a rough job. 
I know, man. I leave there with a headache, man. That's why. That's why I don't really do too much sports stuff until Saturday night and Sunday morning. You know, I gotta, I gotta, <laughs> gotta reamp every week. That's right. That's right. Well, man, we, you know, I, I prayers with you and more power to you on, you know, getting through that nine to twelve grind on Sunday mornings, man. Good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. I thank y'all, man. All right, appreciate, Ed, we appreciate it. it. All right, have a good one. UK running back. Anthony White joining us, dropping knowledge, looking forward to the season. Um, just, just good stuff. Always fun having him on, and uh, we look forward to having him on again in the future. Right now on SEC Network as well, TV, they're going to eventually talk about the um, schedule for Kentucky basketball. We'll see the SEC schedule as far as dates, times, and and all that. So we can see that here in just a matter of minutes. Yeah, and, and you know, uh, Kentucky's going to get the primetime games. Let's not, uh, as the kids say, let's not get it twisted when it comes to uh, the SEC schedule. You know, the Cats are going to be on there pretty heavy, which they should be. They're the uh, the standard bears in the SEC basketball. Uh, it, it's going to be interesting to see how many of those 9 o'clock games uh, that they forced us to get <laughs> to, to, to play through, so we'll we'll see. But it's always interesting. Uh, for my money, I don't get too much into the whole schedule release thing like they do with the NFL and the NBA and now you know with college, uh, because over the course of a season, storylines change. You know, uh, we're expecting the Cats to be good in basketball. And um, you, you don't know what surprise team that may be. You know, it could be, you know, Alabama, for example. Uh, they could come come out of nowhere and become a story. Uh, but if they're not on TV a whole lot, you kind of don't see that uh, kind of developing. So the whole schedule thing, I don't get uh, as caught up uh, with it. It's just interesting to see when the Cats are going to play, uh, to be honest with you. Yeah, they, they're talking – a minute ago they're talking to your boy Sean Farnham, who you uh, rub shoulders with and, and, and chat with on a regular basis when you cover UK games and represented areas on there now. Um, but, yeah, they are they are breaking it down. They just, you know, show Kentucky's projected lineups. And they were talking about the LSU-Vanderbilt game on January the 2nd. Uh, no, I'm sorry. Kentucky and Vanderbilt. Kentucky plays LSU twice. Kentucky and LSU January 2nd and then March 5th. So we got LSU twice, Tennessee twice, but they were talking previously about LSU and Vanderbilt uh, on ESPN2 sometime in January as well. But there they are. It is, you know, uh, projecting and talking about what you can't really predict, but what they kind of expect or look for. But uh, it is the summertime, something to talk about, uh, and that's what they're kind of doing right now. The NFL is really the one that just makes an event out of it. That's the one. I mean, they blow that thing way up and, and make it last like an evening <laughs> when it just releases the schedule. And, and, and you know that with the NFL and the NBA, number one, with the divisions the way it's set up, you, you know certain games that you're going to have you know, in, in, in your own division. And then 
they've got it set up where they rotate between, you know, the NFC West plays the AFC West this year. So th- that is kind of locked in stone. But it's always good to see, okay, what's the primetime matchups going to be? Uh, you know that uh, when the Patriots play the Colts, that's a game. Uh, you and I are old enough to remember when the uh, Niners-Cowboys matchup uh, in the mid to, to late 90s, that was a Fox 4 o'clock primetime game. That was a game that, you know, you wanted, you definitely wanted to see. So uh, it's good. It's going to be interesting uh, uh, to see, uh, like I said, where and when the Cats are going to play. Yeah, and uh... – so it's still a ways away, but it's just, you know, kind of getting it out now to slice and dice it and dissect it. Uh, speaking of slicing, and dicing and dissecting, you and I are going to do that to the second football schedule. Uh, but, you know, we are just two and a half weeks away from football. We can kind of go through uh, here in the next segment or two and give our kind of expectations what we think will happen game in and game out and then, We'll have our record of what we think Kentucky will do this coming season. Uh, another little fun thing to do as we wait for football to get here. Both of us admittedly were a little slow getting into football this year. I know I was a little slower than normal uh, just with the whole, you know, Kentucky's undefeated in basketball. I was just kind of was consumed with that, and and there wasn't a spring game, and just, it took a little bit longer to transition into football than it normally does. Um, and that was the case even when your San Francisco 49ers were making news week in and week out. When the first thing happened, I don't know if it was Patrick Willis retiring or Justin Boylan retiring, but you even said, you know, I'm just still not uh, you know, ready for football yet or getting into football mode yet. And of course, we didn't realize that your Niners were going to make news every week, which they pretty much did. But it just took us a little longer getting to football this year, I think, with Kentucky being undefeated. Um, normally, I'm into it a little bit sooner, but now we're just two and a half weeks away. Summer is quickly turning into fall. So we'll we'll have a little fun with the Kentucky schedule and where we think the record will end up. So we got that coming. Stay tuned for that, y'all. Um, got a lot more fun stuff to talk about. I mentioned Tim Duncan at the outset. Got to get to that. We'll take us another little quick break. Uh, you listen to Cats Talk Opinion Terry on the Brown and Hardy Radio Network and BlockTalkRadio.com. Stay right with us. We'll be right back. I got a thing. Just 
Welcome back to Cat Talk with Vinny and Terry on the Brown and Hardy Radio Network, blogtalkradio.com. Have a fun show rolling along. Um, talked a little UK recruiting with Sasha Kalea Jones. Talked UK football with Anthony White. Um, Going to do some more Kentucky football talk in just a few minutes. I'm trying to find a, a picture on Instagram. I don't know if you happen to see it or not, TB. Um, but actually, some buddies of mine that are Tennessee fans included me in a comment on it. Uh, it was the Florida Gators football on, on Instagram, Gators FB, Gators football. And I don't know if the, the picture's still there or if they're taking it down. But basically, it was a, a promo, uh, a marketing deal <laughs> for Florida football. I'm going to see if I can find it just to kind of paraphrase it exactly. Because my man, oh, here it is, my man, uh, Michael Villa, known as himself, 10 years old, best man of my wedding, diehard key fan. Um, yeah, Gators football yesterday. <laughs> It says, want to come to the season opener for $5? Find a student and be their guest. Hashtag Swamp 15. Then it's a picture, you know, some Florida fans in the swamp. Bring a guest, you know, for current student season ticket holders. So <laughs> Mike tagged me in this on Instagram. It's, of course, like I say, diehard Tennessee fans. So his hatred for Florida is high because you keep going on a, a decade-long streak of losing to Florida. I mean, they've lost nine in a row or something like that. Uh, so, you know, his hatred is divided up between Alabama and Florida. But he says to me in the comment, he said, even UK doesn't have to give away tickets. He says Florida's competing with Vanderbilt now as far as marketing strategies are concerned. But, yeah, uh, find a student a Florida student, and you can go to a game with the Swamp for $5. What do you think about that? From Florida football on Instagram, TV. That is, and, and that is unusual, and we've seen that happen before. Uh, my hometown school, uh, University of Louisville, has had those kind of promotions uh, on Groupon and, and that kind of thing. And you understand the need for it, Florida football, you, you've got hardware, you've got championships, you've got you've got pedigree, and you, you shouldn't be doing these gimmicks to get yeah. fans into the stands. It's like, you know, uh, we, I can't mention the coach's name before Cal, but it would be uh, equivalent to Tubby's last couple of years and, and, and he who shall not be named, and even though the, the team – and the uh, on-the-court product wasn't usually up to Kentucky standards. Still no point in time where where Mitch Barnhart and the athletic department, Dwayne Peavy, had to get together. How do we put people into the seats? And for all of the lack of on-the-field success, consistent field success that the football team has had, we've not had to reach that point yet where you're you're doing all these kind of gimmicks to get fans into the stands for football. It, it's just not becoming of a program that 
is on Florida's uh, status. Uh, it's just a bad look. I just found this. So I tagged you in it on Instagram, and Sigma tweeted out for the show account at Cast Talk Wednesday. Yeah, I mean, like you said, <laughs> Florida football. Uh, Florida football where, you know, not too long ago, Urban, Urban Meyer was just there, you know, winning championships, competing with championships, you know, knocking heads with Nick Saban in the SEC uh, championship game. Uh, and now, you know, had a bad run with Will Muschamp. But, wow, but still, I mean, you know, they, they kind of acted quickly, much the way UK did with Billy G. You know, Jeremy Foley didn't mess around and say, okay, we got to we gotta change this here. And so, you know, Muschamp is no longer there. And now Jim McElwain is there, and he's got to be like, probably like, thanks for nothing, Muschamp. I mean, really, we got to give tickets away? Like you said, Florida football marketing gimmicks, it just doesn't go together. I mean, they haven't been good as long as Alabama has. I'm talking way back from a history standpoint. For, for as long as you and I can remember, they have been good. You know, and it's still going on 25, 30 years. I remember I remember Emma Smith running all over Kentucky back, you know, in 88, 89, before, you know, he went on to uh, join the Dallas Cowboys. So they've been good pretty much our whole life. You know, once Coach Berry got there and got it rolling, you know, everybody's memory is short-term. Everybody remembers Florida as pretty good. You got a, a glitch with Ron Zook got a glitch with Will Muschamp, but all in all, Florida has been consistently contending, and to see this, I mean, that is just, it's just shocking, and and my buddy put it put it pretty accurate, he said, that Florida can team with Vanderbilt for, for marketing, <laughs> try to get people in the stadium to put butts in seats. Yeah, it, it, that's just a strange, that's just a strange scenario, because I just don't think you see a team, and you could say that the Florida, uh, even though it hasn't doesn't have the legacy of an Alabama or, or a Michigan, you could say top twenty, top fifteen football program, you know, in the country. Uh, you, you just don't think that any of those other programs, even during downtimes, would have to the gimmick to get people into the stands. Yeah, yeah, and so. So quickly to to just go from I mean I know they had some bad years under Muschamp but to be at that point that quickly like you said with the the legacy even though it's you know short term compared to you know Alabama and Michigan to be that at that point already is what is shocking to me. Um, you and I are gonna break down this uh, UK football schedule. Before that, one more thing though that we gotta talk about as fellow Kentuckians. You know, we might have different opinions on it, but the few things about Kentucky that get shown to the world, one is the Kentucky Derby. Uh, well, Kentucky basketball is known worldwide as well. But Kentucky Fried Chicken is known the world over. And here lately we've had some commercials with the Colonel where they've, they've kind of brought him back, got him in the white suit doing some ads for Kentucky Fried Chicken. Uh, and I didn't even know who the first guy was, and now he's been replaced, and we'll get to that in a minute. But Daryl Hammond was the first guy that you saw recently doing these ads as Colonel Sanders. He was on Saturday Night Live. He's a funny guy, done impressions and stuff like that. What did you think of Daryl Hammond doing the ads 
as Colonel Sanders. You know, as fellow Kentuckians, this is Kentucky Fried Chicken we're talking about, so we got to talk about this, I think. Yeah, well, here's the thing, uh, because, and again, I'm kind of dating myself, because I remember when the original Colonel was in the uh, commercials for Kentucky Fried uh, Chicken, and and, and he, uh, not like what they're trying to do now, but he, he was he was himself. That that was part of his thing, you know, his, his herbs and spices, and he had the the whole look and everything like that. Uh, I these commercials have turned me off. Uh, I, I'm not a big fan. I know a lot of folks. They they they've turned. I'm not a, I'm not a fan of these commercials. Uh, I really. Oh, okay. Okay. I, I'm I'm not. I know a lot of folks that work at Yum, and I'm like, you need to find out whoever did this, and they need to be brought to, they need to be brought to justice. Uh, I, I think the the KFC. Uh, I understand. You know, you got to be, you got to appeal to the, to the change in times and all that kind of stuff. And I I think they're doing that with some of their products. The Heart attack bowl and all that kind of stuff. The sandwich where the instead of bread it was, you know, two chicken breasts. I mean, all that kind of ridiculousness. But I, I just don't <laughs> see what's gained for going this route with the colonel. I, I just don't. I don't get it. I don't know if I'm missing something, but no, I, I, I'm not a fan of whatever it is they're trying to do. Now I was, I was cool with. Uh... With Daryl Hammond, the, the first guy that, that did it, uh, the only thing that I didn't really care for was his little laugh at the end. You know, other than that, you know, which he's from Florida, so he's a southern guy. He kind of got the, and he's, you know, good impressionist and all that. And I was, I caught myself watching it with a critical eye because I'm like, hey, this is Kentucky Fried Chicken. You know, we're from Kentucky. Let's see what you're talking about. I like the fact that Kentucky was brought back in instead of just KFC, KFC, KFC. You know, little kids don't even know what that stands for. But you know, Kentucky Fried Chicken was brought back into the into the pit, so I was cool with that. The little laugh that he had—that's you know—he had me up until that point. You know, I was all right with him talking about you know the five dollar Phillips and all that. But then that little <laughs> that little laugh—I'm like, man, the Colonel just wouldn't be laughing like that. So that's, that's when it kind of messed me up. Uh, but I was still overall, I was all right with Daryl Hammond as the Colonel. But then, you know, come yesterday, they're going to replace him with Norm McDonald. I'm like, come on now. I mean, Norm's got his funny, dry style, and it has worked. But he can't, you can't pull that off and, and try to make me buy that. Norm as the colonel. That's just, that's just stretching it too far. And he's Canadian. And, and yes. And so that made me... That made me at least look. I'm like, he's from Quebec City, Canada. And so my first thought was, I mean, there ain't even no Kentucky Fried Chickens up there, but it is. And there's even one in his hometown. But still, still doesn't matter. That's beside the point. <laughs> it's just not working with Norm. Even if there are Kentucky Fried Chickens in Canada, it's just not working. You can't, you can't make me accept that one, even though – that was my first argument. They don't even have Kentucky Fried Chicken up there. They don't look it up, and they do, but I'm still not going to buy it. 
No, I'm I'm not buying that at all. But if I if I won't ever have a soapbox moment on this show, I think this is it. I haven't really stepped up on one, but that that might be it right there. So uh, yeah, I had to we, we had to throw this out into the show. Like I said, we had some non-sports stuff, but as Kentuckians, man, look, this is Kentucky Fried Chicken we're talking about. My mom worked at Kentucky Fried Chicken for a little minute before I was born. So you know, I'm like, hey, this dude, we gotta we gotta talk about this right here now. So. Uh, had to just throw that out there and, and chat about Norm McDonald stepping in and, and trying to be the colonel. So I think I'm off the soapbox. I put a, I stepped on it pretty good, in my opinion, for a second. I'm not as good as you, and I don't step on it like <laughs> Michelle did when, she, when Michelle called in. But I, I got on there for a minute, and, you know, I kind of got comfortable in the little box, but I'm off of it now, I think. It, 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 it's all about finding your happy place. <laughs> I'll have to keep that in mind the next time I step up on it. I'll, I'll remember that. Let's look at this Kentucky football schedule because September the 5th is fast approaching. Let's break down the schedule and, and give what we think will happen. Everybody else will do it. Why not us? Uh, you see how close to accurate we get as far as Penciling in wins and losses for Kentucky football this season, starting with the home opener, the new Commonwealth Stadium opener against Louisiana Lafayette, Raven Cajuns. What do you think happened in that game? We just talked to Anthony White, the guy that was jacked up. Only game of the season, he was fresh. He already gave his point spread. What do you think happened, TV? Now, are we just doing wins and losses? Are we doing points, or, or how how's this going to be set up? Uh, what well, we just do wins and losses? I'd say you know you know you know yeah. wins and losses. Maybe week to week we can do scores as the games get here. You know, the Wednesday of the such and such game we'll give a score like we did before, but we just do wins and losses. Okay, okay. So we're uh, starting with Louisiana Lafayette, the home opener. I think that uh, I think the Cats win. Uh, I think that that excitement, and, and you can, I, I think when you look back on the South Carolina game last year, uh, where the crowd was really really into it, I, I think the the crowd is going to be there for this. It's a you know the first home game. Everyone's excited for this season. I, I think they come out uh, and they're focused, and I think the Cats the Cats win against uh, Louisiana Lafayette? I think so, too. Kind of lean with with Anthony. The uh, Louisiana Lafayette will have some athletes. They'll have some talent. They'll be able to get a little something done, uh, cause a few problems, and maybe have everybody, you know, aggravated and, you know, in the stands, like, why are we blowing them out from the get-go? Why are they hanging around? That kind of thing. Create a little bit of drama, and then Kentucky pulls on the way, uh, and I feel that they get a win as well against the Louisiana Lafayette Raging Cajuns. So that brings us to week two, September 12th, Columbia, South Carolina. At South Carolina, play the Gamecocks. SEC opener. 
first road game of the year, and and here we go. It gets real, that, real quick. Yeah, this one is going to be a little bit tougher to call, simply because two years ago uh, at South Carolina, that was a very winnable game for Kentucky in Mark Stoops' first year, and and last year obviously they won. Uh, at home with JoJo Kemp putting on one of those performances that you want to get on your highlight reel, so that's good. Um, it, it, this one's going to be tough to call, but I'm going to go with the Cats because, uh, as longtime listeners know, I am definitely uh, all about identity, and I think these Cats, as Anthony White, as Anthony White uh, talked about. Uh, they've got an identity on offense, especially. So I, I'm going to go out on a limb and say the Cats are going to end up at two and zero. This is so hard. I'm, I'm trying to try to be objective, pick with the head and all. Uh, uh, and this is that's why this stuff is fun, you know, because you don't know who's going to step up. You don't know who's going to, you know, on both sides. You know, who's going to have a great game. You know who might be subpar. You don't know what kind of bounces and breaks and things like that. You just don't know. Um, and it's like you said, it's been a touchdown game the past two years. You know, down there two years ago, thirty-five twenty-eight, and you know Kentucky was on the short end, but could have easily walked out of there with a win. They put a scare into them, and this was Coach's first year. Um, and then last year at home, forty-five thirty-eight, touchdown game again. So, uh, Coach Stoops has played Coach Spurrier to a draw. I mean, 73-73 combined score in both games. One win, one loss for each. But I, I just got a feeling it, it might be just too much of a little hornet's nest. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and go with South Carolina and definitely hope I am wrong as wrong can be. Uh with that game in South Carolina. So next, of course, is Florida, first SEC home game in Commonwealth Stadium. And they come in with a new coach. We just talked about Muschamp and, and, you know, having to give tickets away down there at the Swamp. But Florida comes up here, and we all know what happened down there last year. What do we think? Florida at home. I'm going to go with the home home crowd. And, like, we played them extremely well last year. Probably one of those games could have gone and easily could have gone the other way. Uh, so I've got the Cats moving to 3-0 and and, and breaking that that long uh, streak. Yeah, I think, uh, I think everything sets up for them as well. Regardless of the first two games, I think, you know, even if they do win at South Carolina, if they come up short at South Carolina, both on different sides of the fence there, I think they they got what it takes. And, and last year, coming so close, uh, booming those guys, the Florida guys on the team, they went down there and weren't a bit scared uh, playing Florida last year. And now to get them back at home, I'm going to go win as well. So that puts me having them two and one uh, after they end that 
other dreaded streak. We saw the Tennessee streak in in 2011, uh, the Florida streak of picking at the end in 2015. So we get the other monkey, the call Steve Young, oh, my God, get the monkey off of their back, and the Florida streak will end. September 26th, Missouri comes to town, who we never give any respect. Nobody does. Defending SEC champ Missouri comes to town. What you got? This, this is a Eat game. Him. Yeah, this, and you'll this be there, a, right? Yes, I will be at the Missouri game. So uh, this is a tough one to call. I think of all the games last year during the that that streak to end the season, this was probably the most listless performance the Cats gave. I, I don't know if it was play calling or, or kind of what it was. If you remember that game, it was just kind of. It didn't look like Missouri did anything spectacular, but the Cats didn't really look like they were in it. So this one, uh, again, is going to be at home because we've got that home-heavy schedule. Uh, this is this is a toss-up. I, I think that if they're two, if the Cats are two and one, or if they are three and zero, oh, this could be one of those games where where they drop it. This could be one of those trap games, and. I don't say that uh, because I, I think that we're on that level where we can look ahead and look over opponents, but I, I, I think Missouri has just been sneaky good. They joined the SEC because though, so this could be that game they drop. Uh, so I've got them, I've got them dropping this Missouri game and, and getting to to three and one. And the Missouri game that last year was twenty to ten out there in Columbia, Missouri. Uh, and it was kind of just hanging there for Kentucky to take it if they were able to just put any any sort of anything together. There was another one that, you know, they could have walked away and won. Uh, and on the other side of that, Missouri just kind of does that to everybody. They <laughs> And they just kind of methodically – Unimpressively, win games. You look up and the, the clock hits zero, and they're winning again. They've they've done that to everyone, um, but I think this is the one where I'm I'm gonna pick Kentucky to to uh, to win this one and go to three and one, uh, go to two and one in the conference. Uh, they'll kind of bounce back and avenge that. Still early in the season, still fired up, still at home. Uh, Hatcher, Jason Hatcher will be back, you know, for the Florida game. He'll have a game under his belt and another game now where he can kind of get a rhythm going maybe, kind of bolster defense on that side of the ball. And I'm going to go with Kentucky to win and then move them to 3-1. and one. Uh, And that heads us to Eastern Kentucky on October the 3rd. The Colonel come calling. This is one of those where I think the uh, the kind of off the field issues. I, I think this one's going to be a, a fiery game. Again, being at home, uh, I see the Cats taking care of business and kind of. Uh, I think they take out a little bit of frustration from the from the brawl and uh, from kind of being. Uh, 
I won't say little brothers, but kind of being forgotten about in the pecking order of uh, uh, Kentucky football, Kentucky as a state. So I, I think they're going to take care of Eastern Kentucky. I think so too. And as of course we're thinking the same along the same lines. This will be a storyline game for all the wrong reasons for all of the off the field stuff. You know, within the state of Kentucky, for sure. It'll be one of them. You know. All the developing just of what happened uh, between the two in the offseason. But yeah, it, it'll be chippy and all that. But this will kind of put it to rest, and Kentucky will, will win conventionally. And then all of that will kind of be put in the rear view once and for all. So uh, we both got Kentucky to beat the Colonels and move to 4 and 1. And then that sets up. And almost by, they get 12 days off. And then it's a Thursday night game against Auburn. Just miles on and the boys come up. This this one is going to be a little tough to call because we know Auburn is Auburn. And Auburn still, uh, I think right now, uh, still uh, ahead of the game. of, of where Kentucky is, but that being said, this is a, a weekend. This is a weekend that a lot of Kentucky fans, a lot of the Big Blue Nation, is pointing to. It's the uh, Thursday night game against Auburn. It's Big Blue Madness kicking off basketball, and then it's there's the uh, NBA preseason game that weekend as well. It is a. It's going to be a big time game. It's that Thursday night game. The the Cats have been shooting for, but I just don't think it's going to be quite enough to get over Auburn. Uh, my question would be, when it comes to that game, can Kentucky's defense slow down Auburn's running game? And we all know that the SEC is a, uh, a battle of attrition league. And I know there's going to be some time off, but but will they be able to to physically slow Auburn down? I don't know if we're quite at that level yet. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of with you. This is what we talked about a few weeks ago. For me, this is game one of every team in the SEC has their gauntlet at some point. This is game one of Kentucky's gauntlet in my opinion, and you also you got Keeneland coming up, you know, the, the Friday after the, the Thursday night game. You throw that into the mix with all the other festivities, like you said. Uh, there'll be recruits everywhere and, and Big Blue Madness and everything will be, I mean, is going to be turned up, as the kids say. Uh, but I, I think Auburn just still just a touch too much, and uh, I got Auburn winning that game as well. So, then they get nine days off, and October 24th, on the road again at Mississippi State, who is, of course, as we all know, the permanent opponent from the SEC West. This is this is uh, one of those games at Mississippi State. Uh, I, pretty much what I, I said about Auburn is – are they going to be able to, to get Mississippi State off the field? And 
I, I just don't think they'll be able to do that at this point. Mm-hmm. I think the gap is closing, but we're not quite there uh, to where unless a lot of things go right, that so we'll be able to go to Mississippi State and, uh, and, and pull that off. Now, what could work is if Mississippi State is kind of overlooking Kentucky at that point, could that be a trap game where uh, Mississippi State gets a game and going into the fourth quarter and Kentucky's got some momentum? But out, outside of that, I, I think that's going to be a, a loss for the Cavs. And this one is, this one is, I don't know, tough. This one is tough. Um, Kentucky made a good showing against them last year at home when Mississippi State came to town, you know, the number one ranked team in the nation. Um, and there's been some good battles through the years with Mississippi State. Um, Back and forth, hard fought wins on both sides, um, and for what it's worth, <laughs> at SEC Media Days, Mississippi State was picked last in the West. Now the West is murderer's row, and anybody can win or anybody could almost finish last when you look at the teams over there. But they picked them so low because Dak Prescott in their eyes, lost a lot of the weapons and skill guys that he had last year. Thank God that Josh Robinson, those bowling ball that just was impossible to tackle, won't be there. This is game two of the gauntlet, and in my opinion, the four-game gauntlet. I'm going to pick them to get a win here. I I don't know how. Going to be tough, and I've been saying that all year. That, you know, can Kentucky get to six and six? Can they get to a bowl game? It's doable. It's going to be tough. I'm going to pick them to get a win at Mississippi State. So that brings us to <laughs> October 31st, uh, and all that orange will be in Commonwealth Stadium, the home game against Tennessee. Are you there? What do you say? Yeah. Home game against Tennessee on October 31st. I, it's odd having Tennessee so early in the year. I'm. This is still the schedule. Take, this is where uh, the schedule is taking a little bit of use to. Uh, but this one, Tennessee at home, I, I don't think the gap between the programs is that wide. I know that Tennessee showed some flashes last year. Uh, but I think this could be for the first time in a while where the Cats get, you know, two wins in the series in a short amount of time. I, I think the Cats uh, on Halloween at home, uh, I, I think they can go ahead and, and knock off the Volunteers. Nobody will see that more than me. Um and the reason this is a gauntlet to me, though, a four-game gauntlet, is because it hinges on if Tennessee is doing what everybody thinks they're going to do. You know, they've recruited well. They have gotten themselves back to respectability. Uh, they've had some down years, some lean years. 
they start the season ranked in the top 25 for the first time in like seven years. I think they're 23rd or something like that going into the season opener. Um, I mean, and it, the thing about it defensively, and they are a different team with Josh Dobbs at the quarterback. Uh, and for the past two years, Tennessee has tried to redshirt him end up burning his red shirt, and then they, they usually throw him out against Alabama or South Carolina or something like that. Uh, and he makes the offensive line look a lot better because he's mobile. Uh, the other quarterbacks take a lot of sacks. Uh, Dobbs is able to move and, and avoid that. We've seen that the past couple of years in person when uh, Kentucky has faced him. We saw it down there last year. Kentucky was gas going in there right before the bye at the end of the season. Uh, and he was running around doing whatever he wanted to do. We've seen that from him two years in a row. Now, can he make it through a whole season? He will be the man from the get-go, and he'll be playing week in and week out for a full seven, eight games now. So that'll be, that'll be different for him. We'll see how he handles that. But I, I, it pains me, but i got to pick Tennessee uh, to end up winning this game against Kentucky. Uh, it's at home, and the momentum will be there, and it'll be the Jack crowd. But I'm going to pick Tennessee there. And that leads us to November 7th at Georgia between the hedges in that. What you got? Georgia. Georgia, I, I think that they are in a position. Rick, Mark Rick, uh, Georgia's coach, he, he's got to make a push for an SEC title. That's kind of where he is. And I think this is the year they do that. Uh, usually what happens with Georgia, you see them drop a game or two that is a head scratcher. But I think this year they're going to be focused. And when Kentucky comes to town uh, with a with a winning record, I think they're going to be focused and they're going to take care uh, of business. Yeah, I'm um... – I'm there as well. Um, Kentucky is making progress and making strides and, and heading in the right direction, but this is still uh, a different animal. Uh, we, it got ugly real quick last year. Of course, this is not last year, but Georgia still has a lot of talent. They got questions at quarterback. They'll be, you know, bringing in a new guy. But they've got some running backs that can give a quarterback time to get comfortable. Uh, Nick Chubb is a monster. Sony Michelle uh, probably be starting on any other team if he wasn't on the same squad as Nick Chubb. So, you know, they got two horses right there again. I don't know if Marshall was back or not. You had Marshall, the Marshall kid that was there with with, with Gurley. I don't know if he's back or not. If he's there too, that's another big-time running back for them too. Um, but, yeah, I'm going to go with Georgia to, to get the win down there in Athens on November 7th, which brings us to the final road game of the season, November 14th, at Vanderbilt. This is this is a gots-to-have game. No matter what has happened to this point, what the, the culture that, that Stoops is trying to change is win the games you're supposed to win. And this is one of those games – uh, with Vanderbilt, you, you got to have. The Vanderbilt game, to me, becomes the game between bowl eligibility 
or even, you know, a better bowl if you can get to the seven-win plateau. This is a gots-to-win game. It's a game if Kentucky is above 500 and if they've had a decent showing at Georgia. You know, uh, Nashville's not that far. I've been to a few games, Kentucky football games, uh, at Vanderbilt where the Big Blue Nation has showed up kind of in mass and and taken over Nashville. If that's the case, and I think it will be, I think the Cats end up uh, beating uh, Vanderbilt in Nashville. Yeah, I'm I'm with you there. Um, For a long time, you know, Kentucky and Vanderbilt struggled and, you know, shared the same bunk bed in the bottom of the SEC, and they were fighting with each other trying to get out of the bottom. Um, Then, of course, James Franklin came and, you know, catapulted them to historic heights, and they ran off and just left Kentucky and just smack Kentucky around. Um, I mean, it was just, just unbelievable what they were doing. 40 to nothing, 38 to 8, you know, in those those two years there. But, you know, Derrick Mason's in there, and they went down really quick back to, you know, where everybody's thinking same old Vanderbilt. So he's got a lot of work to do, and he's trying to climb back up. And then Kentucky is in the respectability mode, up and coming mode. So I think Kentucky goes down there and wins again. You know, last year was ugly, but it was the first win for Kentucky against the SEC in a while, and they were able to beat Vanderbilt 17-7, I think. Uh, and it was one of those, we'll take it. Same thing, what happened, no matter what happens in Nashville, we'll take it, and I think Kentucky is is better and should just go out and be better than Vanderbilt, uh, and they'll leave Nashville with the win. Which brings us to the final two home games of the season. November 21st uh, against Charlotte, a game where you, you will grace you come with stadium with your presence once again. <laughs> yeah, uh, Charlotte. This is a game. This is a this is a gotta have game uh, as well. I know a lot of people kind of talk about you know scheduling when it comes to SEC teams and football, uh, but with a team like Kentucky, where you've got the the non conference games and you've got the or eight conference games. Excuse me. You've got the locked-in Louisville game as a non-conference game. you got to have two games where you're not going against as stiff a competition. Uh, it's kind of like Georgia is locked into that uh, Georgia Tech game, Florida and Florida State. So kind of understand that. I think the Cats take this one. Uh, it's going to be to the point where I hope they've already got the bowl uh, bid clinched and this is just icing on on top, or they're they're tasting that bold bid and they come out really focused uh, to win this game. You got them winning against Charlotte. Yes, yes, the, I got the Cats winning against Charlotte. Yes, and uh, uh, ironically, aren't they the Forty ers as well? Yeah, 49ers. They are. Just for whatever they are the 49ers. Whatever that's worth. <laughs> I'm not sure why whatever they're the 49ers, <laughs> but they are. Yeah, yeah, for what that's worth. I mean, you know, if if Wyoming had been on the schedule or Oklahoma State, you know, I would have made the reference to them and the Cowboys. But they're not. 
But the 49ers are on Kentucky's schedule. So, uh, for whatever that's worth, there it is. That brings us to the season finale, uh, which, once again, like you said, this used to be Tennessee on the schedule Thanksgiving weekend for years and years. But now it is Louisville. Uh, you get the Cardinals at home to close out the season, senior day, uh, and all the festivities. The final game in the first season of the new Commonwealth Stadium, November 28th, when Louisville comes to town. Cats win. The 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 Cats win. You I know you you talked about needing that Tennessee game. This is the game the Cats need. It was close last year, and and could have gone either way. Uh, a very good game uh, at Louisville last year, and there was a pretty big talent gap on the Louisville side uh, the year before. Uh, schematically, the defense did its job and, and kind of held. Teddy Bridgewater and the offense for Louisville down a little bit. Uh, the Kentucky offense wasn't where it needed to be. But this is going to be the game to, to really change perception around the state. This is a game the Cats need, and this is a game that they get. Uh, being here in Louisville, I've heard it all. Bobby Petrino doesn't lose to Kentucky, yada, yada, yada. This is a game that changes that. I think – a week of hype leading up to the game I think is going to be great. Whether or not it's for that, that six win, that bowl eligibility, all that aside, this is the put-up-or-shut-up game, and I think the hometown crowd will be fired up, and I think the Cats deliver the win and break the little mini streak that L's on. And oh, for this worth, I had them beating Charlotte as well, and – I have them avenging last year's close loss to Louisville. Um, I mean, they were up 13 nothing last year, and Reggie Bohannon gets knocked out, and it looks like, all right, here we go. And it's just Kentucky luck that, you know, the kid from Lexington stepped in and just started balling out. Uh, I forget his name, but, you know, he came in and just, of course, Played lights out, um, forty-four to forty. Louisville wins last year. I think they do avenge that one. And we're sitting here talking about need this. You got to have this one for bowl eligibility and all that. But we just both, <laughs> and I don't, I still don't know if I believe what I just did, but I, I did it with my head. We both have them sitting here. At eight and four, I ugh. but I'm not gonna change it because I didn't just pick with my heart. Yeah, it, it, you have them at eight and four, and so do I. It, it, yeah, because the thing is, they got to you know five wins last year, and I I think they left a couple of wins out there. So when you kind of look at it like that and you say, okay, it was a seven-win team last year, and then you go and you look at the home-heavy schedule, and uh, in my mind the gap between uh, Louisville and Kentucky is not as wide as we've been led to believe. I don't think right now the gap between uh, Kentucky and Florida, Kentucky and Tennessee is as wide as it once was. 
I think this could be that season. Now, could they be a five-win team? Certainly. I think uh, by the end of the season, Louisville could be focused and, and be uh, the juggernaut offensively that they have been under Petrino, and, and Tennessee could uh, be a tough matchup. You've got them, uh, Tennessee, winning that game. So it's one of those things. It could be five wins. It could be eight wins. At this point, I wouldn't be surprised in either way, but I don't think eight wins is totally out of the question. Like, I don't think we're taking a big leap. Uh, you know, when I go through the schedule and I pick out those eight games, I don't think it's a big leap like, you know, a couple of years ago in the past, you say eight wins, okay, where are they? I, I think there's eight wins on this schedule, particularly the way the home slate, uh, uh, the way it's kind of laid out for the Cavs. Yeah, yeah, especially when you say they, they could have won seven last year. Um you got them losing to Missouri, Georgia. Uh, I can't see now. Georgia. You had Mississippi State, Georgia, Auburn, and Missouri. I got losing to South Carolina, Auburn, Tennessee, and Georgia. It like it is. It it is possible. You know. It's, and like you said, even if they do win five, they can still be a much improved team just winning five. Again, it would be a big disappointment for a lot of people who, who maybe are hyping expectations, but a lot of people are expecting, you know, maybe just win one more you did last year and you, you can go to a bowl. And like you said, there is a lot of swing games in there, even though they won't be favored in them. They're, they're games that they can win. They're games that are uh, possible for them to win. And and that's where it comes when you look at the SEC. You know, and I've said this for a while, Kentucky from one year to the next can be markedly better, but their record could be the same or worse simply because yeah. of the conference. And yeah. that's the downside to, to, to being in the SEC. Uh, but I think they can. And the the difficult part, I think, would be, and and Anthony White touched on this earlier when you talk about from your freshman to your sophomore year, is you know if the Cats get to eight wins this year, you know next year, you know that ante is going to be raised up because Florida is on the uptick, Tennessee is on the uptick. And you know that Georgia is going to stay where it is, and, and Vanderbilt hopes it's going to be. Can you maintain that seven, eight win uh, plateau? Maybe get up to nine or ten one kind of freakishly good year. That's going to be the issue. So it's almost it's a blessing and a curse if you get to the eight wins, because then it's like, okay, what's the next expectation is going to be? Uh, you know, do they? Do we get into the SEC championship game? So it's one of those things with with football, especially. You want to temper your expectations. Yeah, that's the thing. It's hard, easier said than done, but that's what you have to do. Um, if any of the remaining portion of this show goes over, we're almost at eight o'clock. Uh, it will be available on the podcast blogtalkradio.com/slash/cattalk or iTunes. Check us out there. Uh, go on and, and rate the show. Give us a rating. Let us know what you, let us know what you think of the show on iTunes. Feel free to do that as well. Um, 
TB and I both have the cats going eight and four. Uh, so we had fun with that. We'll see what happens in a matter of a few weeks as the season will be upon us. A uh, couple more quick things before we do get out of here. Number one, did you see or hear the latest UK theme song, that by Armani, the rapper, uh, entitled Poppin'? Did you see that or hear that on anything, YouTube or? I, I, I have not, but it's going to take a, a lot to, to move uh, Terrence Jones' Teaching About Kentucky off of my number one themed off my number one themed uh, UK song. So that that one, you know, teaching about Kentucky. Also, I remember 1998, our good friend Cameron Mills, uh, national championship team. I remember getting tubby with it. So <laughs> I haven't heard that yet, but we'll see. Um, I'm going to say this. It's uh. It'll give it a good run. I was, I, I think you'll, you'll, uh, when it's all said and done, you'll, you'll really have to see what you think. If it, if it will challenge the number one spot in your opinion, we'll, we'll see. I'll be interested to see what you think. And of course, we know that uh, this is a long, you know, one of a long list of uh, Kentucky type songs. We all, <laughs> we all know. Well, what Kentucky Joe does, we don't know Big Blue Fan in the Morning and Willie Collie Style Man. And, you know, Kentucky Joe happens to follow this show as well, for, which is, you know, like, wow. <laughs> but I think I, I want to see what you think when you compare popping to you know, Teaching About Kentucky. I'll be interested in your take. You know, we'll talk some music on this show in a minute. So once you hear it, we'll have to see what your thoughts are. I'll be interested in your take. Uh, finally, in closing, got to get to the one last thing. I don't know if you saw it or not. Dan Favell on Bleacher Report uh, kind of tweeted about it, and then the Business Insider uh, wrote an article about it that was showing salaries in the NBA. Dan Favell tweeted out where Tim Duncan ranked as far as salary goes, and <laughs> looking at the guys that are ahead of him. Duncan is going to be making, you know, he takes pay cuts and works it out to help out the Spurs so they can work under the cap and uh, spend their money wisely. He, you know, took the hometown discount. All the Spurs basically do that. Uh, and that's allowed them to bring in LaMarcus Aldridge and continue to, you know, stay competitive year in and year out. You know, Tony Parker's done as well. But did you just happen to see where Duncan ranks on that list? I, I didn't, but when I when I ever I look at that list, and I know USA Today used to do that uh, with with professional sports salaries, and it's always surprising at who's near the top. Because for a while there in the NBA, there was Rashard Lewis and and Gilbert Arenas, <laughs> and you're thinking, okay, I mean, it's not the people you think should be at the top when you really look at it. Uh, but I would say that Duncan. Uh, he, he's he's he, there's going to be a lot of head scratching people in front of him on that list. Yes, and I just knew I wanted to to hit on it real quick. Uh, and Dan's been on Bleacher Report forever, and this of course is no subject to change with, with contract changes and 
stuff like that before the season starts. Everybody gets locked into where they are. But Tim, right now, the big fundamental, uh, making $5 million, is 156th in the NBA. Uh, right behind Darren Collison at 155, the Sacramento Kings. Your newest L.A. Laker, D'Angelo Russell, is 154th, making $5,103,000 and change. He's making more than Tim Duncan. Dion Waiters at 153, TV, is making more than Tim Duncan. We have um, Jabari Parker from Duke, who was hurt halfway through his rookie year. Tony Allen, I'm going up from Duncan at 156. Tony Allen, defensive stopper for the Grizzlies, uh, making five million one hundred sixty-eight grand. Tony Allen, Victor Oladipo, Jaja Pachulia, journeyman who was with the Hawks, uh, now with the Bucks. Jaja Pachulia, yeah. Nick Young, <laughs> another Laker. Uh, Darren Williams, Brandon Wright, Mirza. So Teletovich, uh, P.J. Tucker. So that is kind of taking you up to low 140, just an idea. And then on the flip side, I'll go and kind of go from the top down. Uh, Of course, you already know who's at the top. (laughs) That goes without saying. Your boy Kobe is at the top, 25 million. Joe Johnson is second. LeBron is third. Melo fourth. Dwight Howard, fifth. Chris Bosh, sixth. Chris Paul, seventh. KD. You got Derrick Rose. Dwayne Wade rounds out the top ten at 20 million even. Then goes DeAndre Jordan, Lamarcus Aldridge, Brooks Lopez, Kevin Love, Mark Gasol, Blake Griffin. Paul Millsap at 17. Paul George at 18. Russell Westbrook, 19. Kyrie Irving, Cantor, and Kawhi Leonard and Wesley Matthews, and Greg Monroe and Jimmy Butler all tied at 20th. Kyrie, Enos, Kawhi Leonard, Wesley Matthews, Greg Monroe, and Jimmy Butler round out the top 20. Enos just got that new deal. He's making 16-4. So he's a top top 20 guy in the league. So after that, 2021, 20, 22, 23, 24, 25. Tobias Harris, Tobias Harris, and then John Wall at 27. Just an idea, and I'll round it off at an even 30. <laughs> uh, John Wall, 27. The Marcus Cousins, they're tied, 15, 8. James Harden, 29. And your homeboy, Roy Hibbert, Team 5. So just an idea of the bottom. 150th and in the top 30, just to throw some names at you real quick on this latest salary list. And I know you just love hearing your boy there at 30, Big Roy. Well, your your dad and I covered that uh, a couple of shows <laughs> back on my thoughts on on Roy Hibbert. But, but seriously, oh, when you look at salaries, it, it is just bizarre that who's in the top uh, – you know, 20, and, and who's not? Yeah. You know, that was the big yeah. thing. You know, Scotty Pippen's gripe when he was in Chicago, 
he, you know, he arguably, you know, he's your second best player, top five performer in the league, but you know, he's eighth or ninth on the payroll. That that's a that's where you get a lot of friction uh, in there. So uh, this, it, it's really fun to look at those salaries and kind of say, okay, because I've looked at them, I've said, well, if this person's making this the NBA. That just ups my value, you know what I mean? So, yeah. Uh, you know, I can do that. I can play 20 minutes in a playoff game and not get a rebound, you know, but I'm not <laughs> going to get on Roy Hibbert. I've, I've ridden that horse. I don't want to do that. I got you. I got you. And just for what it's worth, uh, Brandon Knight and Eric Bledsoe are tied for 44th uh, on that list. And similar situation, you know, Phillip Rivers for the Chargers just got a new contract. And now the big debate is, well, Eli Manning is next in line. Is he going to make more than Phillip Rivers? You know, he's a two-time Super Bowl champ, a two-time MVP. But outside of those two Super Bowl years, he has has as many playoff wins as Phillip Rivers. Hasn't made the playoffs since the last time they won the Super Bowl. So in a bottom-line business, what have you done for me lately, how much longer can Eli still kind of, rub his rings when it comes to contract talks. They also said in the last three years he's thrown more interceptions than anybody and it's not even close. So you you got the good and the bad and it's like, wow, what do you do with him? And you know he's probably wanting more. He's come out and said he didn't say that or tell his agent that he wanted to be the highest paid guy in the NFL. But when you kind of stagger these payments and they kind of kick the toe and outdo one another, is he going to be uh, get a little bit more than Rivers did? They both came into the NFL at the same time, so you know it's it's another salary dilemma, like what you said. Well, and, and this is the thing with with Eli Manning. You know, he's that uh, he's got that new Directv commercial where Directv <laughs> Eli's smooth and suave, and and cable Eli's whatever he is. Well, that, that's pretty much what you get with Eli Manning. You've got Super Bowl yeah. camp where he's looked like a world beater, you know, for those playoff runs where those two playoff runs pretty much eclipse what Peyton has done in the playoffs. But not about that. But the rest of the time, he's the other guy. He is average, if not below, when you take out those Super Bowls. So uh, I was talking to a Giants fan and I think that Eli is going to get into the Hall of Fame when it's all said and done, but it's going to be one of those just because he's got the two Super Bowls. That's going to be it. Uh, I just I don't remember seeing a player that has looked so good for a small sample size and then so mediocre the rest of the time. It's kind of like what's – Green, uh, you know, Terry Bradshaw won four, just like Joe Montana. But if you're talking about him comparing them, you never compare Bradshaw to Montana. Bradshaw's in there, and he has his four rings, and a lot of other great players around him, but nobody ever says, well, well, well TB, well, he, he is a TB. TB was just as good as Joe Cool. You never hear that. You know, so it's it, he's kind of like I mean, and I think overall, I mean, I mean Terry played more consistently than Eli, but you know what I'm saying. 
He has those four rings, so he's in, even though he didn't just set the world on fire and you don't put him in that same class as, you know, Montana. Exactly, and and that's where it, it's the downsides when you just say rings or when you just say records. I've always said that when you look at the Hall of Fame and you look at the best ever players, it's one of those things, and I kind of stole this from uh, the sports guy Bill Simmons, is if your life depended on the outcome of a game, you know, what quarterback do you want taking the snaps? And for my money, I'm I'm giving the ball to Joe Montana. You know, if my life or or, or, or whatnot depend on the outcome of the game, I'm going with Joe and I'm going with Johnny Unitas. Those are my one-two guys. And uh, so when you look at career numbers, neither one of those guys' numbers are spectacular, but a lot of folks put them at their one and two. So uh, it, it's one of those things that uh, you, you can debate this, but I, I'm just not a huge, huge Eli Manning fan. Yeah, yeah. Let's, let's see what happens when when they finally negotiate, you know, his deal. Uh, but just had to throw the little salary stuff out there. That was some big news. More training camp fights, too. Dez Bryant got punched upside the face. Because you know the Cowboys and Rams got into a big fight, um, so I had to throw that out there as well. Don't want you to think that just because I'm a Cowboys fan, I didn't see it and didn't mention it. Uh, they are the latest two teams to get in a scrap when you have the joint practices going on, and yes, and Dez has kind of been you know up in some scraps all summer long, and uh, he caught a right hand upside the nose <laughs> from the dude for the Rams. So, yeah, I, I did see it, and, and don't think I'm dancing around it just because I'm a Cowboys fan. I, I saw my boy take one to the face. Uh, but mercifully for all those guys, the season will be here <laughs> soon as well. Uh, so, you know, cuts can be made. Coaches can probably find some guys and, and let them know they don't have to go that far. You know, I heard her man was talking about it. Um and Jeff Saturday, too, I think, talking about how Tony Dunst didn't play and didn't take any of that mess as well. So uh, coaches want to really nip it. They can, but it's just a matter of will they. And it doesn't help when you got the NFL tweeting out the fight on the NFL Twitter account. Like, you know, don't fight, but, hey, check this out at the same time. They're talking out of both sides of their mouth. And, like I said, season will be here soon, and all this will be over with. But, you know, we'll see how that happens as well. But... Oh, and one last thing, too, you being a Niners fan, did you see your boy Trent Richardson, former Alabama running back, completely missed the hole? He had a hole as big as from me to you in Knoxville, Louisville, to run through in the preseason game, and he ran into the pile and did not score. Did you did you see that? Yes. I, did. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. I, I've never been a running back, so I don't know how the hole looks from that angle, but from the from the angle of the where the picture was taken that circulated, it looked like a complete lack of vision by a supposed uh, elite runner. I mean, do you not have any peripheral anything? And the, the whole you want, I mean, he, he, you're not gonna. I'm not a running back at that level either. But you're not gonna. You, you run to daylight. You're not gonna have any more blinding daylight than that in the NFL ever. 
you know, you'll see a hole in a, re- a regular season game, and you'll see him get the ball and take his steps, and you're like, ooh, and then you'll see that thing close up, and you're like, wow, and then he gets to make a yard. He had a cavern, and it remained a cavern the whole time he ran. It didn't close. The hole did not close, and he still didn't find it. I mean, ugh. did he have the left eye closed? I mean, just <laughs> unbelievable. <laughs> I didn't know if he had on one of those Ladanian Tomlinson uh, tinted visors and, and didn't see where he was going, you know, uh, the, the Raiders yeah. with those dark chemicals. I, I don't know, but that that was a bad look. Yes, it was. And I swear, I, we had, I just had to throw that out there. But, man, we had a ton of fun. We squeezed a lot of stuff in. We we got we, we had to start off with your career move, which is this and that. That is Look, we talk sports, we talk everything, but look, personal stuff like that gotta we gotta lead off with that. That's the Ricky Henderson of the show. We let off with that. Had to. Enjoy Anthony White. We appreciate him coming on the show. Enjoy talking all things UK football and basketball. Um the new commit, Sasha Kalea Jones. Uh, also talked about the football team just a couple weeks away. Look forward to that. Enjoy breaking down our win-loss projections for this upcoming season, 8-4 is not as crazy as it sounds. Uh, and we know being Kentucky fans of history and how we've you know, been kicked in the gut on uh, various different games and various different seasons, heartbreaking losses. Uh, it could be five wins. It could be eight. We look forward to seeing it. We both came to an 8-4 conclusion, so that will be our prediction for the season. Um and enjoy talking salary and enjoy talking about Trent Richardson missing the hole uh, and all the other fun stuff we talked about. And look forward to doing it all again next week. Follow T Brown underscore AD on Twitter because he doesn't disappoint. It's always something going on with Terry's Twitter. Enjoy everybody checking out the show. Appreciate you listening. Hope you had fun. We definitely did. Look forward to doing it again with you next week, TV, man. It's always fun, bro. Totally uh, a fun time, and like we said, uh, the usually in the summertime is a down period, but uh, we've had a, a lot to cover this summer of 2015. Absolutely. So we'll see y'all this time next week. Appreciate you listening to the Cat Talk Brown and Hardy Radio Network and Blog Talk Radio. Good night, everybody. We just be living in London.